0: one of the things that you can notice about people and find out what they love is when they could just talk about something um, for like an extended period of time. Like when they get going on a subject, you know, you almost have to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, hold on, we get we got some other stuff to get to because they just love it. I, I wonder if maybe Jessica is like that about, about dance. A few weeks ago, we had a cook, chef, um, Lisa Esmeyer, come and share with us. I know she can get excited about food, we had someone last week talk about gardening um, and, uh, and kind of offer some of that, like just what do you love? And sometimes a way to spot that is the thing that you could just keep talking about. Um, so a question, uh, just to kind of get us back into the subject matter of the series, is what is that for you? Like what's the thing that if, if you get talking about, oh man, you're off and running and you're excited to share? because you you've got something to say there. So would you just turn to somebody near you and say what that is for you? Ready? Set. Go. Yeah, so what what were some of the things that got said real quick? What were some of the things? Gardening? Gardening. Yeah. Okay. Cooking? Cooking. Yeah. Stories? Stories. Music. Music? Chickens. Chicken just in general? Uh-huh. Like chickens? Oh, it's uh, raising chickens? Do you have some? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, took, we have some friends that live out and they, they have some chickens and we took our dog who's like this 80 pound black lab and he was out there and running around and he spotted the chickens and he was like, oh, there's chickens and then I saw his face change, you know, and I was like, we're about to lose some animals here and I had to, I had to get him in the car before he had lunch. Um well, <laughs> You know, it's, it's funny, the, the range of things, you know, like I'm, I know I have a friend over here, it might be coding. Um, and like, yesterday, I went in and hung out with some friends, and we played golf. And I can tell you that is not one of mine. Um, you know, I like hanging out, but like knowing golf just doesn't excite me. Um, it, just, it just doesn't. Some people it does. That's great. The night before that, um, we had had a bunch of people over at our house and it was, um, it was tacos and it was dancing and it was music loud and screen doors open and, and kids running around and people having a great time and um, making donuts in the Fry Daddy, you know, because that's when it's a party. Um, and, uh, and like it was, man, that's one of those things um, that I, I just love to tell stories about people coming over and hanging out and having a good time. It's just one of my things. And when we look at Scripture, uh, especially in the, what we call the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of our Bible, um, there's a couple of things that you can tell that God just loves to talk about. And he gets so excited that you might, at certain points in Scripture, be like, we got it. We got it. <laughs> like, come on down. And But if there's something that God is excited about, maybe there's something there that we're missing and one of the first things that we notice, our, our um, first major uh, discussion that God just gets excited about is creation, and we've talked about that, how he, he forms the universe, and uh, he gives us this image of a, of a garden and humanity living in nature, in this, like, everything in its right place. The word Eden um, even means, it means delicate and beautiful, like it's it's one of those things that you look at and you're like, whoa, 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 everything is perfect right now. There's a river that runs through it. There's fruit and growth and there's uh, the tree of life in the middle and when they, when they leave and everything breaks, the entrance to the east is guarded by angels and there's this sense of like, we can't seem to get back in there. Two, we have two different creation stories at the beginning um, of our Bible about, about, the, uh, uh, about Eden Um, and creation chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2 give us the same kind of perspective, um, same story from different perspective. Um, And you just get the sense that God loves to talk about it. But then there's this other thing that actually gets more attention from God in our Old Testament. It's another creation that is being made. And we get so much excitement and energy and time and detail that often we don't know what to do with it. And we kind of miss it. It's, it's like when someone gets so pumped about NASCAR. Do you have a friend that's like that about NASCAR? You know, and you're like, I get it. It's four hours of a left turn, we know. And, but, but not to them. Not to them, there's details and there's interest and there's, there's strategy and there's, there's a whole world there that I don't know about. And, and when God starts talking about this thing that, he asked the people to make the second great act of creation called the tabernacle and later the temple. It's easy to, to wonder what is it that you find so interesting there? Like there's got to be something. We have almost whole books, a whole section in Exodus and and then Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy that are given to talking about what's going to happen inside this tabernacle and later the temple. The, the tabernacle is when the... Uh, when the Jewish people came out of Egypt and were in the desert, Um, they put to work making a a temple, a place that God would reside with his people in the desert. It was made out of fabric and it was on poles so they could carry their temple with them through the desert. I call it the porta temple, right? And they would just kind of like bring it with them as as they would go. And the detail in there is just absolutely fascinating. And then later when they make a permanent home in the temple... In, in the land, in Jerusalem. And David's son Solomon builds a temple. The word of the Lord comes to him in 1 Kings and, and gives him instruction on how to, on how to build this, this fixture. And this second great act of creation of the tabernacle and the temple has so much in it. I think it'd be worth asking, what is the relationship between those two things? Often people who are trying to follow God bump up against similar questions. What is the relationship between the world and the temple? Between all of creation, that is now quite fractured, and a holy space, the place where the people of God gather. What is the relationship between those two things? And when we dive into something complex and nuanced, it can be talked about in a lot of different ways even with well-meaning people diving into scripture and coming at very different conclusions. One way that people talk about the relationship between creation and the temple, the holy space of God's people, if you will, is that they should be separate, that there should be a barrier between the two, that they shouldn't interact, that how the people of God are going to be holy is to remove themselves from the world and be outside of it. And certainly, we could point to Scripture that gives us that God often calls the people of um, uh, the Hebrew people out of the culture around them, and we're told in John over and over again to be distinct from the world, to see the world even sometimes as an enemy, the culture around us. How, how, do we, how do we interact with that? But I, I think we can all know times in Christian history when people have removed themselves from the world for the sake of being holy and things got weird fast. Things got dysfunctional fast. Like a, like a stream that doesn't have anywhere to go, it kind of turns into like this pond that's overgrown with algae and always smells like a dead fish. You know what I'm talking about? And the church can get like that. The people, so what, what is it? Maybe we could point it at different places in scripture and talk about that really the relationship between these two things is to get the world into the temple, to call the world into the holy space, out of the world into the holy space to be with God inside of here. Certainly there's all kinds of places that we can point to. You know, God's vision um, for Israel is, is that the nations would come. So the nations would come. Jesus invites people in. He tells people, come and see He invites people in, and the church was always inviting people in, and that's a beautiful thing, right, to make space for those outside that need a place in the community of God, in the temple, but that, that can be limited also, because there's all of this movement where Jesus goes, right, so some people would point to that. And say, we have a God who left the holy space and went into a broken world. So maybe the flow is that the temple should go to the world. Maybe that's the right answer. That we should be a leaving and a missional and a movement-oriented people to go find a broken world out there and move like Jesus did. I mean, certainly we wouldn't have to look any further than the Great Commission. Right? To go into all the world and make disciples. So what do we do? when we come up against a complex issue and where different people, well-meaning people can look at different places in scripture and come at completely different conclusions. How do, you, how do you like, because those don't all jive together. You can't be separate from the world and invite the world in and go to the world. If that's your only, if that's your only perspective, right? You have to figure out like, is it, is it, is it all either ors or what are we doing here? And one of the ways that I found could be helpful when we come up against a complex issue, issue, um, in what we believe and in Scripture, is to zoom out. Because if we zoom in, we can justify almost anything in the name of our God or in the name of Scripture, right? If you zoom in and you find this verse here or this verse there, we can justify, like, the worst stuff in history. And believe me, people have, you know? Um, and you might even have, like, a coworker. Uh, that, uh, that loves Jesus a lot and has like Jesus bumper stickers all over their desk and stuff, but they're driving everybody crazy at work. Does anybody know that person? Right, 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 right. right. And, and, and they know the word often. But something is missing in how they are doing things, often because they're zooming in on a perspective. So if we can zoom out, and if we can look at what is God trying to do on the whole? And then where does the nuance find its, find its fit, find its place inside of the whole story? Then that's often a better way forward. And just to, to look at a couple of things, you know, I, I just wanna, um, if we could zoom out and kind of look at the story in a couple of major chapters, we talked about creation. And then when God is talking about the temple and the word of God comes to Solomon, I want you to pay attention to some of the details here in First Kings 6 and 7. Starting in verse 18. Inside the temple was cedar carved with gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar. No stone was to be seen. That's an interesting detail. Verse 29. On the walls all around the temple, both inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim. Those are angels. Palm trees and open flowers. 32. And on the two olive wood doors he carved cherubim, palm trees and open flowers, overlaid the cherubim with palm trees and and palm trees with hammered gold, uh, verse 35, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and opened flowers on them and overlaid them with hammered gold evenly over all the carvings. Uh, chapter 7, verse 18, he made pomegranates in two rows encircling each network. He decorated the capitals. Those are the top of these major pillars. The capitals on the top of these pillars. He did the same on each capital. The capitals on the top of the pillars in the portico were shaped of like lilies, four cubits high, on the capitals of both pillars, above the bull-shaped part next to the network, were 200 pomegranates in a row, all around. Are those details you wanted? What is, he, what is he doing in the temple? What does the temple look like on the inside? It looks like a garden. Everything's wood. You come in and it's blooming and open flowers. It's fruit and pomegranates. And what's on the doors guarding the way in, which by the way faces east? What's on the doors? Angels. Angels. The temple is Eden recreated. And at the center is a menorah, a candle stand, big sucker, made out of gold with arms stretching up, seven candles on the top. It looks like a tree. Like in Eden, at the center was the tree of life. And there's a basin full of water, like a river that flowed through Eden. And it's in that place that God's presence comes and lives with his people. The temple is Eden recreated these people that lived in a desert full of desolate nothing and sand. They could come inside a space and get a little piece of heaven back on earth. So the relationship between the temple and the world, I think if we zoom out, it becomes pretty interesting. Maybe if we go to the end of the story and we look in, in Revelation, starting in, in chapter 21, we'll, we'll work our way into chapter 22 here, but pay attention to some of the details. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. The glory of God gives it light. The Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut and there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought to it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, Bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him, and they will see his face. Did you get it? The new heaven and the new earth is Eden restored. Tree of life, river, God living with his people, bearing fruit, the world as it always should have been. I think if we zoom out, yes, there's lots of complexity that we can talk about, and it's good to figure out the mode and the time, like what does the church need to be now? But the relationship between the world and the temple is that they should be one. That We are headed for a day when all will be made right, and there will not be any space that is not holy space, that every relationship, every conversation, every act, every deed that is done will be done in worship and holiness to God, that there will be no space that is not holy space. We are in the middle of that kind of work. You know, I, I was um, uh, one of my favorite authors is Wendell Berry, who's a, a follower of Jesus, um, but doesn't really write like Christian, you know, books. That's not, but the his love of Jesus comes out in his writing, and he, he has this beautiful set of um, of stories about a, a fictional town called Port William um, in the in the early 1900s, and one of the main characters, you know, he. Typical maybe Kentucky town, lots of church, um, but maybe some people get a little crusty when they follow Jesus. Do you know crusty people that follow Jesus? <laughs> they need some of the crust knocked off, you know. And um, anyway, and then there's this, there's this main character, and, uh, and Wendell Berry says, to some, it seemed that he didn't laugh like a Christian. He laughed too loud and too long and his merriment seemed too self-sufficient as if, had there been enough funny stories and enough breath, at them, and enough breath to laugh at them with, he might not need to go to heaven. <laughs> then he points the picture of this guy who just laughs so much and enjoys stories so much that he makes the Christians around him nervous because they're like, buddy, you are having too much fun. Like, you know, we're, this is, we're kind of supposed to suck down here so that we can get to the good place up there. And, and God is not in the business. Not in that business. He is in the business of bringing heaven to earth and making the world a temple again where there is no space. You know, the interesting um, few words in, in Greek, two words for the word new that we translate, kainos and neos. Um, Would you say those two words with me? Kynos and neos. Both can be translated new. Neos is uh, a word that means brand new. Brand new. brand spanking new. You just pulled this sucker out of the box. You just drove it into the driveway. You are excited because it it, it has the new car smell. You know, this thing is new, 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 new. Then there's kynos, which is new in terms of quality. It means renovated. It means made new again, like what we've got going on in the lobby out here. Or if you've ever had a kitchen redone, holy smokes, bless you, that can take forever. Or, or if you've ever been with someone who's like flipped a house, and, and you can, you, or, or a car that's been restored, and that thing is new. But it's new again. It is made new Again. And 0% of the time when the Bible talks about the new heaven and the new earth, does it use the word neos? It is not brand new. It is not pulled out of the, out of the box, out of the Amazon box. Like it's not, you know. 100% of the time, it is kinos. God is making the world new Again. Again. He is renovating everything to make it the way that it should have been. So maybe we can ask the question, like, what did they do before the fall? Like, what was life like before the fall when they just walked with God? Well, among other things, they have a command to work the garden, to care for the world, to get their hands dirty. I'm imagining they built stuff. I'm imagining they cooked stuff. Among other things, they were naked, unashamed, and God told them to be fruitful and multiply. So I'm imagining they worked on that a bit. Got some nervous laughter up front. <laughs> I don't, and the camera pans to the window. We hear soft giggles in the background. Right? And I, like, what were they doing? What were they doing with their time? They were living their life just the way that it should have been in a temple, in the presence of God, as priests of God Most High. Uh, when he's talking about how to build the tabernacle, um, we could go look at some um, instructions in Exodus that I find kind of interesting. And you'll have to hang with me because some of, the, uh, some of the names here are a little challenging. So starting in verse 30, then Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Baselau. So if, if anyone is, if you're pregnant and you're like, what am I going to name my kid? <laughs> Basilau. He will never get a mug at a gas station with his name on it, but it's all right. The Lord has chosen Bozalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for the work of gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has gifted both him and Aholiab, there's another one, son of as-sam-ac? As-sam-ac? there you go the tribe of from the tribe of dan there's a word I know Dan, okay, got it, and the ability to teach others he has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers and blue and purple and scarlet yarn and linen and weavers and all of them skilled in des- workers and designers and it goes on that when God wants to make Eden wants to make a holy space. He finds some people that love some stuff. Hey, you're excited about working with your hands and getting sawdust all over the place. I want you in here. And I want you to do your thing. I want you to do it in here. You're excited about pulling out a hammer and a forge and heating up metal till it is red and hitting that sucker till it becomes something. I want you in here. You know how to work with threads and pull them together and make them something beautiful. I am gonna make your passion put angels on the doors of the tabernacle. And as he is making all of the world a temple again, everything that you love can be a place to bring that in and say, God, how do you want my work, my joy, to be a part of your mission to make the world right again? to bring heaven down to earth. Because listen, at the beginning of the story, the earth and the temple are one. At the end, that's where we're going. In the middle, things get a little funky. And where he makes a physical tabernacle and temple in Israel, in Jesus, he's doing something different with us right now. Like if we could go to 1 Peter, chapter two. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That your life And our lives joined together are going to be the roving temple in the desert of the world. Bringing a little bit of Eden everywhere we go as we look forward to when the city and Eden are together in God's presence. And so everything that you do can be a part of you being a living stone bringing God's presence to earth. Or if we could go to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6, he said, What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That as we are the temple of God, this introduces a bit of um, of a conversation around holiness, that if we are to live as God's temple in the world, there are things that are not appropriate for us. There are things that are not okay with how we live. Why? But not because God wants to squash our fun, but because he's a part of building the world back into a temple and wants you in on it, doesn't want you to miss out on it. And so idolatry does not live in the temple of God. What are the things in your life that need to go? You know, maybe we could say, you know, we we lean into those things because we enjoy them. I don't know that enjoy is the right word because it has joy right in the center. Enjoy is from God. Maybe we could say they bring pleasure or maybe they say they they bring relief or numbing or they make us feel more secure but they're not from the Lord. What are the things that we can let go of in the name of living like a temple of the living God? You know, um, a few years ago, when we bought our house, it had this beautiful lawn that changed. And anybody else had this like, you know, I didn't know lawns took a lot of work. <laughs> I don't got that much time, you know. And um, and so a few years ago, I tried to get serious about this. And I, I did what everyone does now to learn something. I, I looked on YouTube. I, I went on YouTube, yeah. And um, and there was this guy. He had a principal. I don't know if it's right or not. It sounds good to me. He said... If you're trying to grow grass, set your lawnmower as high as it'll go. Because healthy grass that's growing in thick makes it hard for weeds to get in. I wonder if when we talk about holiness, and yes, there's probably some stuff in your life that needs to go, that we can repent of, and that we can say, I'm sorry, God, but here's the thing, I feel comfortable, I feel much more secure and safe repenting to a God that wants to give me joy. Because he's not interested in taking good things away from me. He wants to give me good things. He's trying to take away from me something that will hurt me. And and so to that God, I can repent and say, God, I'm sorry, take it from me. But then we don't have to leave that spot in our yard void. We can fill it with something that is from him. And whatever it is, whatever good, noble, praiseworthy, true, beautiful thing, that you can fill that spot with. We don't have to walk around having this patchy garden. This thing can be alive with the presence of God. So what do you need to say goodbye to? What needs to go? But then what good and beautiful thing can you fill it with? Whatever it is that brings you joy and that God meets you in. In Ephesians, um, Paul uh, maybe says a, a similar thing this way. In verse five, He says, for you were once darkness, not you were in darkness, you were darkness. But now you are light. Not you are in the light, you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. That is a good endeavor God, what pleases you? What about my life pleases you? Having people over at my house and throwing a party and dancing in the kitchen, does that please you? I think it does. Maybe we should do more of that. Is getting out on the golf course please you? Depends on how you act on the golf course. You know, I saw one or two, I saw one dude launch a club, you know, like I'm betting that wasn't it. But, is there a way to be out on the golf course? Something as playing as that and have it be the temple of God right there in your midst a part of God's mission to redeem the world. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. What about your life can become light? Um, Years ago, I was a... uh, Worked at like a daycare, after school care kind of thing. It was a summer camp in the summer, you know, during the day. And there was a kid there who was being kind of a stinker. And apparently it became my job to take care of Ethan because he was being kind of a stinker. And so I was like the distraction engineer. It was my job like just to hang out with Ethan and to keep him busy um, because, you know, he was kind of being tough. And so among other things, in the middle of playing games with this nine-year-old, I threw out this question, just trying to keep him busy. Ethan, what's the meaning of life? And he snaps around and looks at me and says, to glorify God and enjoy him for forever. Okay? <laughs> glorify God, enjoy him That was new language to me. I didn't know that that was something people had been saying for hundreds and hundreds of years. That that was the first question in the shorter Westminster Catechism. That in the Reformed tradition, that, that that was the first thing that someone was asked who was coming into faith. What is the chief end of man, as they say? To glorify God and enjoy him for forever. Now, often in the Christian world, we can focus a lot on the first part, and we should glorify God. Yep, 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 yep. And down with that, yes. Maybe we miss some of the wisdom of the second part and enjoy him for forever, that your enjoyment can be a place where you live with the God who showed up to walk with his friends in Eden and found them hiding in shame instead. And then he came in the person of Jesus to walk with his friends again. And one day in the new heaven and the new earth, we will walk with him for forever. We will enjoy him for forever in the middle of our everything. So today, what are the things that need to go? Because you are living as the temple of God. What are the things that need to grow? In all goodness and righteousness and truth as you not just are receiving love from God through the things that you love, not just giving him worship like we talked about last week, but as you enjoy him for forever, that you are a part of his mission to remake the world into the temple of the living God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have called us, that as your word says, If we are in you, Jesus, you have made us priests of God most high. So Lord, I pray that we would live like it and that we would carry your presence into a world that feels like a desert, that we would build an Eden there as you make your home with us for forever. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to LaCroixChurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out and we hope to see you soon.